Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. I'm excited this time that we'll be joined by one of my favorite leaders of an organization that's quite unique. It's Heather McElwee. She is the executive director of the Pittsburgh Glass Center. The Pittsburgh Glass Center is the nonprofit public access school gallery and state-of-the-art glass studio that's dedicated to teaching, promoting, and creating glass art. World-renowned artists come here to make their studio in glass art, and what's really exciting to know is that they have grown substantially through the years, as she will talk about. I'm excited to be joined by Heather McElwee of the Pittsburgh Glass Center. Heather, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so I have had the lucky privilege to get to know you over the last three years or so uh, related to the Velocity program in Pittsburgh, but the audience they may not know you, <laughs> so it's always yeah. always good to ask the person a little bit about themselves so that they can tell their own story. So, uh, you know, I, I obviously have not talked too much uh, about the Pittsburgh Glass Center, so we'll get to that, but let's get the Heather story. How did you even get to this place? How, how did you decide that this is the career for you? Sure. Well, I mean, when I was about five years old, I said, you know what I want to do when I grow up is be a glass blower. Uh, no, said no one ever. So yeah, I mean, like a lot of folks, um, I kind of found glass in an, un- an unusual way. Um, I myself am a glass artist, even though I my day job is serving as the executive director of the Pittsburgh Glass Center. Um, I do make work uh, occasionally, and I know how to blow glass. Um, and really, uh, I was always interested in art uh, as, a, as a kid, so that part is true. Um, but then when I went to college, I planned to study architecture, and I took a glass class actually just to – I took classes in the crafts department, uh, glass, wood, metal, just to really understand the materiality of those different um, things to use in designing structures, you know, in my architecture studies. And I totally fell in love with glass blowing and changed my major, much to my parents' dismay. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> You're going to do what? How on earth is that ever going to make you money? So yeah, so then I ended up getting my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree um, in sculpture with a concentration in glass. And uh, I moved to Pittsburgh in 2001 because this incredible facility was opening. Um, and they had kind of done a bit of a if we build it, they will come uh, mantra where they were building one of the most state-of-the-art glass facilities in the country. Um, And there really weren't a lot of glass artists in Pittsburgh at the time, but they felt like if they built this amazing studio, um, people would come and and build a community here. And uh, so I I believed it and I came here. I came to Pittsburgh. I have um, done just about every job here at the Glass Center um, in the last 17 years, um, from volunteering to um, being an administrative assistant. Uh, and then, uh, back in 2006, I took a little break and went and got my master's at Carnegie Mellon university in arts management. Uh, did a like fast track one year program, still working at the glass center while I did that. And then 
came back here in 2007 full-time again, and I've been the executive director since 2011. Wow. Well, congrats. Congrats. Thanks. So do the parents understand what you do now? They do. Yeah. Actually, I, at one point, my dad actually said I was wrong, which was the most amazing thing ever, you know? <laughs> well, uh, as, as a criminal justice major and a minor in zoology, my parents are quite confused. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. We're all in the same boat. So I suspect that um, what you, I mean, I mean, did you envision that you would be in this role? And I think that's kind of looped to another question, which is, did you think this role was going to be an easy one? Definitely not. I mean, I, um, I will say that I, even though I was always a very creative person, I always uh, really loved numbers, math, spreadsheets, organization, uh, you know, kind of a type A personality. Um, and so what I really found when I came here to the cluster, it was a startup organization. You know, it only had a few staff members at that time. It was a, a big facility and there were a lot of exciting things happening, classes um, that needed to be promoted. And, um, you know, there was just a lot of work to be done. And so over those kind of early years, I really just jumped in wherever I could to help um, get the word out about what we were doing, to help design flyers, to help create programs. Um started to learn about budgeting and understanding about that whole process, that kind of more administrative side of things and, and connecting with artists, contracting with artists to um, exhibit in our gallery, to do artist residencies. So I'm kind of lucky here because I get to wear a little bit of the executive director hat and the artistic director hat um, to make those creative choices. Um, but what I really realized was that um, if I was going to continue to serve in that kind of more administrative role, I needed more, more skills, more education. I needed to whether I loved it or not, understand how an Excel spreadsheet works a little bit better. So that was the, the real reasoning behind uh, taking a pause and to get my master's degree in art management. Um, but it was definitely a conscious choice. I loved working on the administrative side, working on the back end side. I really saw the value in how all of that, that work makes the mission happen. All right. So let's talk about, so 2007, you kind of come back and have been the executive director since. Tell me about the Glass Center in 2007, sort of size and scope, and then let's look at where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a crazy story, honestly, because um, so the Glass Center hosted uh, in 2007, actually, uh, a huge conference called the Glass Art Society Conference, um, which was is an international organization that brings about 2,000 people to a different city every year to do things all around, you know, glass making. Um, and so that was really exciting for Pittsburgh. And honestly, up until that point, I would say that we were better known in the national and international glass community than we were here in Pittsburgh. Um, people would people would travel in for our summer intensives from all over the world and say, oh, my gosh, I've heard about you guys. This place is amazing. And then folks would walk by, come in the front door and ask if we could repair their windshields uh, to their car. You know, so folks in Pittsburgh had no idea who we were or what we did. And so that was a real challenge for us um, to kind of help people understand, develop that, that local audience here. And so that's something that we've worked really hard on, um, you know, for the last 10 years is making sure that folks in Pittsburgh know who we are, know that we are a place that anybody, you don't have to be a master glass artist um, to come in here and do something. You know, anybody can walk in off the street, make a paperweight, make a flower, learn how to work with glass, um, see an exhibit in our gallery if you don't want to make something. So lots of options. Um, and so in 2007, we were serving about... 2,500 students a year through our variety of types of classes, everything from those short make it now experiences up to week long intensive classes where students were with us, um, you know, 65, 70 hours a week. Um, 
And so to about 2,500 students in 2007. This year, we are po- poised to serve 8,000 students. So it's been pretty massive growth. Holy cow. So what do you attribute the growth to? I mean, there, obviously, you've done some right things yourself uh, and the team, of course. But I mean, wh- what do you attribute a lot of this to? Yeah, I mean, we have an incredible um, marketing person who does a great job of getting the word out about things that we're doing. We also, I, I always like to say we play really well with others. Um, we like to collaborate. We like to um, do programming with other organizations. And so I think partnering with other organizations that maybe were better known in Pittsburgh early on um, and so kind of help to share audiences that way, um, doing collaborative things through um, cohorts here in Pittsburgh, um, and then also diversifying our offerings, um, seeing what what was popular um, and trying to really tailor the way we offered things to um, what people wanted. And, you know, one really silly example is that um, sometimes our classes would be be called things like um, glass sculpting. And we realized that people didn't really know what that meant. And, uh, and maybe we're even a little bit intimidated. Well, I'm not a sculptor, you know, whereas like making glass fish, <laughs> you know, seems much more approachable, but it's the exact same thing, basically. Um, and so just thinking, being really conscious about how we um, talk about what it is that we do, we try to make it uh, a way that folks, you don't need to understand gl- glass making from a technical aspect to understand what it is we're doing. And really just trying to be conscious about that, offering lots of different price points and lots of different time commitments so that folks could join us on their own time. Yeah, excellent. Definitely accessible. All right. So let's let's talk about you and leadership and everything else that you've done over the years. I mean, what would be sort of your leadership lessons, maybe two to three points that you would say, Boy, these are the things I tried that I've realized um, really guide my thinking and managing Pittsburgh Glass. Oh man, that's a tricky question. I because I always really think of the group here as a team. Um, and yeah, I mean, I am the executive director, but I couldn't do what I do without the incredible support people that are here who really. Um, so I'd say maybe so maybe that's one of my answers in and of itself. Building an amazing team. Uh, you know, if you want to be a good leader, surround yourself with really hardworking, passionate people. Um, that are equally committed. Um, so um, I'd say the second thing is uh, once you have a really great team assembled is to get out of their way and really let them do what they do best, what they have experience in and expertise in. Um, and so I'm, I'd say if I had to name a weakness of mine, it's probably uh, I'm not a super hands-on leader. I'm someone who says, here's where we need to get to. Um, let's all do our pieces to get us there. Um, and if you want to do that in a way that's totally different than the way that I would approach it, that's fine, as long as we're all working towards the same goal. Sounds good. I, I, it's been an interesting 2007 to now. I mean, you went through a, uh, a financial crisis. The last three yeah. or four years has been a lot of change when it comes to even how probably your donors and patrons are interacting with you uh, as well. I, talk about getting through those situations. Um, how did you? How did? You, how were you thinking about the financial crisis? Because you just came on board around that time again in 2007. Yeah. So I. Um, yeah. It was really. I think what really happened was that um, the Glass Center was still such a fledgling organization, and the expectations were so high, and it was such a sophisticated studio and building, and. Um, I think even internally, we had a, had been thinking a lot that we were a place for these master artists and, you know, we had these really fancy equipment. And, and so really, I mean, what helped to make that shift was just, which 
helped bring us out of the kind of financial crisis was making that shift and making sure that we did have classes that were available for everyone um, so that we could cast a much wider net in terms of people that could participate with us. Um, and that really made, you know, all the difference in the world, honestly. Um, but then, you know, it's funny, we cast that net a little bit wider and, you know, in it's a good thing, but you know, the floodgates opened, you know, now here we are at a place where we are so out of space in our current building. Um, and we're starting to think about what does that mean? And what does that look like? And even when we did our strategic plan about a year and a half ago, we realized, you know, we can't, it can't, our, our student numbers doubled in the previous five years plan. Our numbers could not double again and be served in the space that we're currently in with the number of people we currently have. And so how do we think about deepening engagement um, adding to the continuum so that folks, once they come in and do something with us, they really travel through this journey of taking lots of different types of classes, getting more and more engaged with us. How do we deepen those experiences very intentionally? Um, so that's been really the focus of kind of where we are now. Um, and as we're looking to the future, thinking about um, deepening relationships with customers, understanding more uh, what we can do um, for our customers, um, while, of course, always sticking to our mission. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the future we're looking forward to. So in, in terms of the course of the last couple of years, it, uh, focus, I suspect that as you expanded uh, more access to anybody to do glass, right? Helping them understand that glass is an approachable thing for anybody to do, including my girls or anybody else. I yeah. mean, um, but, but one would argue you have to make a conscious decision to also kind of keep focus as well, right? So that you're not doing anything and everything. So what is your decision-making process to go through focus but yet being accessible and say we're ready for anybody? Wow, that's a really – that's a great question. It's a hard question because I will say one of the things that we struggle with here sometimes is – our ability to say no. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, and that kind of relates back to several of the things that we've talked about, because um, like I said earlier, we love, we think we play well with others. We love to collaborate. And so when people bring us cool projects, we're like, oh yeah, we want to do that. But then something else comes up and it's like, well, we want to do that too. And um, I think that we're pretty good. And maybe our, me our very, very specific medium focus kind of gives us some clarity around that. Um, I think organizations that ha that deal with a lot of different media, maybe they do painting and sculpture and ceramics and this and that, that in and of itself is complicated. Whereas when we can always kind of look back and say, our mission is incredibly simple, teaching, creating, promoting and supporting glass art and the people who make it. Um, so I mean, that's basically our criteria. We look back whenever an opportunity presents itself, um, whether it's something we're trying to create or it's something somebody's brought to us and say, does this help us do one of these four things? Um, and if the answer is no, then it's a definite no. You know, it's not something we do. And if it's a yes, maybe, then, you know, we kind of dig in deeper on that and say, well, you know, how, how maybe? And, you know, does it bring in a significant new source of income, perhaps? Um, but is only a little bit mission focused. Okay, well, let's, you know, I mean, it's basically that classic matrix that that everyone's probably made that says, you know, if it's mission critical, um, then of course, it's a yes. If it's less mission critical, but it, it brings in money or allows you to do things um, that are mission critical, then, you know, it's a it's a strong maybe. Um, and then just looking at how much time and resources we have. So again, our staff has grown um, quite a bit over the last several years, but we still feel pretty strapped to get everything done that we'd love to do. And so um, I try to be pretty conscientious about not um, continuing to pile responsibilities on top of people. Um, and so that's really been a thing that's, that's made us say no more in the last couple of years, too, is just we do not have the 
the people resources to kind of make this program happen. So one of the things that obviously has happened through the years is the the public's understanding of what you do, uh, hence why you have more people doing it, right? Participating in all these programs and so on. Talk about the struggle to help the public understand and how did you have to lead the team down this line? You mentioned your head of marketing, who I know yeah. <laughs> well, but um, I suspect this is also an education process for board members who might be maybe like yourselves who like yourself who is a glass professional uh, at some point in history as well yeah yeah actually honestly that was one of the things that happened kind of around that same time period in 2006-7 as we started to diversify the board and bring in more people who maybe were just enthusiasts and weren't weren't um in the medium themselves or kind of really deep into what we do but came to events and liked participating here. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I always say, and sometimes people are like, that's an insane thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I don't care if you can write me a giant check. If you're not super passionate about this organization, I don't want you on my board. Um, (laughs) So I, you know, you can write me the the giant check and I will be engaged with you in, in lots of different ways. But I, you know, board members, I want them to be able to really talk passionately about this organization, um, understand what it is we do. And so that has been an absolute an education process and a process of bringing in new people um, into the fold. I think the other thing is that, um, you know, we hired uh, a new, a fairly new development person. We'd never had a dedicated development person until last summer. Um, and that was really great, too. I think as we've added staff, we've had the ability to have kind of some outside perspective, um, folks coming into the organization with fresh eyes. Uh, we hired a new design and new media manager about a year and a half ago, same thing. Um, that was a position that existed and the person that had been in that role um, had been there for a very long time. And so when we had Morgan come in new, again, it was like a, fr- a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective on everything that we're doing. So, you know, it's kind of funny. We talk, we, we tout a lot that we have very low staff turnover here. Um, folks have been here for a long time, which is great because people are clearly really dedicated to the organization. Um, but when we have had the opportunity to bring in some new staff members, it's been really good to help with that education process and help them. You know, they look through the catalog and say, this language doesn't make sense to me because I'm not in it every day. I'm new, you know, and so really listening to those people, those voices and our, and our customers in general, um, understanding what it is, is confusing about how we said something, or um, we certainly use our gallery exhibitions as a great way to educate people too about what's possible in glass art and the huge range of artists working today with glass. I I know that that it's probably difficult at times to think through the things that you need to do in order to, say, build an audience, bring in revenue, all this other stuff. How do you as a team focus on sort of the creativity and the brainstorming? Because I I know a lot of individuals like yourselves have to rethink the way that you do things in order to capture other people's attention. I mean, where do you spend time creatively looking at things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a good question. And I think you've been to our offices before. So um, our offices are just one giant room. Uh, There are no doors, no, uh, you know, separations between the eight of us that all kind of sit there together, um, which is just the administrative staff. Our studio staff is uh, upstairs and throughout the building all over the place. But I mentioned that just to say that um, creative ideas get bounced around that room so many times a day, you know, and sometimes it's funny, you know, the flip side of that is like, oh my God, I just need a quiet space to work on this grant. Like, please stop coming up with creative ideas. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, honestly, I can't imagine it any other way. You know, we're looking at potentially redesigning our offices, uh, moving to a new space. And, 
you know, we were just talking with the architects and they were saying like, okay, how many private office spaces do you need? And we were like, none. Okay, wait, maybe one, one that we can share so that when we have to have a conference call or do something else, we can go into it. But we kind of can't imagine working any other way because it's so, um, core to what we do. Um, this kind of creative brainstorming, um, that happens around a whole bunch of different topics, uh, you know, on any given day. So absolutely. absolutely. Well, I, I have to say your offices are great and it does (laughs) inspire the creativity side. All right. So we got to go, obviously we're out of time. We could talk for eons. Um, but, uh, why don't you give me sort of the one thing that you are really focused on right now in terms of leading the group, what are you helping your staff and board understand right now from your perspective and how are you tackling that? Oh, man. Well, it's actually a big one. And I'm sorry to bring this up at the very last minute, but we're actually looking at potentially acquiring another building and almost doubling um, our our actual footprint and space. So um, that's kind of the big thing that is on our radar right now. It'd be the first time that the Glass Center does any sort of kind of capital campaign or expansion since we opened in 2001. So uh, we're still very much in the preliminary stages thinking about what that is all going to look like. But um, I and I think, honestly, this kind of ties into everything we've been talking about. What is so important to me as we move forward down this path is that we make sure that we don't lose sight. Um, As we're thinking about expanding programming, as we're thinking about expanding physical space, how do we make sure to do that in a way that's really smart and really consistent with the way that we've been growing over the last 10 years, making sure that we don't lose sight of our focus and our mission, and we don't start to have any kind of mission drift or other um, think obstacles get in our way. You know, we kind of keep our eyes on the prize, um, which is the end goal of, of serving our mission, um, whether it's in this space, another space, or 10 other spaces. So, Absolutely. Well, good luck with everything. Heather, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate the uh, words of wisdom, of course. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me, Derek, as always. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Heather McElwee of the Pittsburgh Glass Center. And if you get a chance to go to Pittsburgh, make sure that you check out their facility. There's some incredible gifts and other things that you can do with your children and your family as well. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. We'll see you soon.